What's up, Familia? I'm the Uncanny Dayspring. And I am the all-out Ascani Sun. Ascani Sun! Ah, what's going on? Not a damn thing. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Happy New Year to you. I'm so glad to kick off 2024 with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's uh, New Year, same me, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about this before we hit record. There's that meme going around on The Simpsons where Homer's like, Marge, I don't get it. Is this a happy ending or a sad ending? And Marge is like, it's an ending. And that is exactly how I feel about 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, uh, it is just another day. I mean, you get older, you just realize you just transition to another month. It just happens to be a new year. That's it. Well, in this new year, we are witnessing the end of the Krakoan age. And I can't believe it's ending because A, it feels like it just started. And B, I'm like, is this a happy ending or <laughs> sad ending? No, Maybe it's going to be just an ending. I, I know. It's just, it, it really does feel like we just really got it started. And you really think it's a kind of a testament of how time flies. But I mean, is it really, is it really, oh, my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going through puberty. Been there, done that. <laughs> no, is it really though, Andy? Because are they? Is it? I mean, are they not? Are they not going to be on the island anymore post uh, Fall of X, or is it just going back to basics? So the T that I have gotten is that the call was made from the higher ups mm. that they want Krakoa so gone that it won't even exist. And originally, editorial um. wanted to leave it as a setting to be revisited in the future, but the higher ups, meaning like Kevin Feige at all, who, by the way, we keep forgetting Kevin Feige is like COO of, or CCO, whatever the title is of like Marvel comics or the Marvel, Marvel publishing art does not want Krakoa around at all. Well, they're, well, they're letting it be known now with uh, how this whole thing started off. So it's uh, <laughs> get yourself ready because the K is about to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I So my, my general thoughts for this, though, before we get into the knit and grit, is that I think if you are following Fall of X, if you've been enjoying Gregory Dugan's... I don't know why I just called him Gregory Dugan. <laughs> Dugan's X-Men run. I do feel this does set up a finale of sorts. There is a sense yeah. of things are coming to to an end. And I think of that first issue of Morrison in Planet X-Men, not as well written as Planet X-Men issue one, don't get me wrong, but right. that first Planet X um, issue that kicked off the arc where Emma says, why do I feel my life is coming to some kind of closure? That is how I would feel reading this issue. Why do I feel a sense of closure is coming? Right, right. Uh, I mean, it's just well, my thing with this, <laughs> and it, I mean, it's a shame because I mean, I, I really have been, been enjoying the the Cohen uh, era of the stories. I mean, it, it was a fresh take. You know, you pretty much you gave every character a second chance and kind of had them do their own thing and just kind of see where this experiment was going. And for the most part, I mean, yeah, you had your highs and your lows as with everything. Um, but I mean, for me, it was just a fun adventure. And now that I know that it's, you know, wrapping it up pretty much, I mean, it is sad to see. My thing, though, with this is I just feel like with the story, uh, the fall of X, haven't these poor, <laughs> poor mutants have just been fighting for their lives enough as it is? I mean, it's like, oh, great. Uh, another extinction level event. 
Wow. I, I can't. And okay, so I'm so glad you already said that. Yes. All right. So, yes, if you enjoy uh, Dugan's like, X Men, this does set up like a very finalized vibe, and you should totally check it out. But now we're going to get into the nit and grit of it. I agree with you, Ascani Sun. Another extinction level event. And the yeah. thing is, Messiah Complex brought so much perspective and thought and, and and sort of some nuggets of what it means to be a mutant on the verge of extinction to that story. What does this bring? This brings nothing new to the table. This is just yeah. another extinction story because they didn't know how to end the Krakoan age. So just massacre all the mutants. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's liquidate all the mutants. Oh yeah. It just feels like it's, this is just another kind of zero tolerance, you know, bastion, you know, wanting to exterminate the mutants, uh, kind of threat level it's just humans again just oh mutants this mutants that i'm so tired of them let's just go uh decimate them all i mean it's just like look we've already gone through this with house of m we've gone through this um with uh ivx now we're doing it again through fall of x i mean it's just like that damn man these poor guys can't catch a break anymore and don't forget x-men disassembled same yeah. thing all the mutants yeah. were being murdered and everyone was on the run and underground right. this is just a regurgitation of all the stories we have already gotten when the krakon age was such a fresh start mm -hmm. i think of doug ramsey in that moment where doug ramsey in issue one of house of x is like the professor has changed all the rules so good so wonderful and i always think of you when I think of how much I don't like the current, you know, era of X books we're getting in the Krakone Age, because you and I were covering Trial of Magneto mm -hmm. when when it was being published, and I was like, oh man, this is starting to like not be good. Like these stories are yeah. not well thought out; they're just not captivating. And since Inferno and Trial of Magneto, that is where I would say the Krakone Age took a huge nosedive to me. I wouldn't say it was Hickman leaving because I think Inferno is a very flawed story. However, I think Hickman exiting the books, you can tell that there was anarchy from an editorial perspective. Well, I think some of the stories was kind of like, you know, write it as you go, really no kind of a thought out plan. And it was very, uh, if I can um, kind of describe it as very last final season of Lost, you just, you, you, just, you just didn't know really what was going to go on. I mean, it was just like, okay, well, I guess we'll just take this route. We'll go this way. Uh, no, we'll, go, we'll exit here. And it's just like, okay, get your GPS on. And figure out. An inconsequential story after inconsequential story. Judgment Day, Dark Web, Sins of yeah. Sinister. I mean, not only were they inconsequential, but there was so many tie-in books to them. That yeah, I think when it, it was just it made it unreadable at certain points. Well, that's how I kind of felt too when AVX was out. I mean, yeah, I focused solely on the primary story, what was being told, and I and I realized that with a story like that, with just the how grand it was going to be, uh, there was going to be you know tie-ins here and there, of course. But yeah, I, I completely agree. It just got so much you really could not keep up with everything, and so I mean, hopefully, you know, with this, they'll kind of tied down small uh and not have um you know a story here story there where it's just like okay okay who what do i need to read to keep up with this you know or what do i have to you know know to understand what's going on here and just it's it's like okay <laughs> Well, the, the the one contrarian remark i would make on in terms of avx because i did read all the tie-in books for avx avx was once in a few years kind of story it wasn't okay. back to back 30 issues to keep up and then you know even before 
what was it before judgment day ended we started getting dark web and then sense of sinister was announced and you're like these stories haven't even finished yet right and right. like and there's they're overlapping and you're telling me now i can't keep up with these 30 issues now i'm gonna have to read another 30 and then in the mm. summer number 30 no no sorry but yeah i i feel what you said was very was very true which is why didn't editorial just put in their GPS? And I really, this goes to show you how Hickman really did keep everyone in line. I, w I argued years ago, probably privately before we even started podcasting, which was, it, it, it's curious to me that you would hire Jonathan Hickman to be head of X when you have the editors there. And I would have assumed with Jonathan Hickman sort of leaving as head of X slash showrunner, it would have transferred to Jordan D. White, and he would have kept a tight rein on the editorial happenings of The Office. But I think it's pretty damn clear that there was no GPS on and that people were just going for a free-for-all and some stories were just going places that just don't pay off for readers. No. Yeah, I, I just... that And that's, that's the thing, too. I mean, I understand that people want to kind of tell their own stories, but at the same time, don't also lose what's already happened in continuity, you know, kind of stay along with the path that, which was the original intent. Um, I, again, yeah. I mean, Hickman, he, he had, he was the foundation of what he wanted to do with the Krakoan age and with certain characters and yeah, him leaving it and you bring in somebody else in here uh, to want to continue to tell these stories, but at the same time, you want to stay along the path and kind of keep it, you know, cohesive, coherent here. And, you don't want to deviate somewhere where you're just going to get pretty much lost in translation and kind of just scratch your head about, wait a minute, but wasn't the intent for this to happen because of this? And then now you're going somewhere else and not knowing where I, you're going to end up. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent with everything you have just said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, it's just, it's how we got here with fall of house of X by Dugan and Lucas Warneck is is very curious, but why don't we dive in to that first Let's scene? Let's go. So how we so how the scene opens is you see uh poor Scott Summers. It's in a Western setting, which is you know kind of interesting. And uh, he's getting dragged uh, dragged along by the chain. Uh, and then he's getting uh put um he's getting taken into the courthouse. Now, one thing about um this opening scene was if you noticed um as he's walking in, you see a sign that says timely. Now, just for uh, listeners that may not know this, is that Marvel Comics wasn't always Marvel Comics. It actually started off as timely publishing or publication and uh, eventually transitioned over to Marvel Comics. I want to say this was probably back in like the 1930s um, when they first came about as timely publication. So I, I like that a uh, little bit of a nod right there. I thought I, I immediately when I saw that, I was like, I know what they're doing right there. So that was pretty cool. Agreed. He, walk, he walks by uh, one of those old time fortune tellers where it says, you know, uh, know your destiny. And of course, you know, it, it's a nod to Miss Irene Adler. Oh, she's there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So then we see Cyclops. He's just pretty much getting judged um, down guilty. And he is about to get hanged. And as the hangman releases the, um, the flooring underneath of him, he all of a sudden stops and he does not fall. And you see a mysterious red haired lady dressed in white with a little Phoenixy brooch uh, smiling. 
And then it cuts to Cyclops uh, getting transported uh, to the actual um, port of where he's going to be uh, put on trial. I I gotta say, uh, reading I, I've read this uh, a few times, and I'm kind of looking over it right now as we talk about this. Um, I like what uh, I like that little hint here, and then him bringing up uh, you know Jean's name because clearly she he and he knows she's coming back. Yeah, he knows just yeah, just yeah. the way that he talks about her, and uh, especially in the court. Um, and uh, sorry if I don't, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. Don't um, get but I like ahead of yourself, tell, please. I like how when he tells the judge that only one soul can judge me, and you're not gonna you're not gonna like it when you meet her. And so he knows that death is not final for her, and that she's gonna eventually come back and pretty much kick the kick kick their asses to hell and high water. So the opening scene it's it's really curious for me. I'm I, I I don't know where I land with it because I'm of two minds with it. One, I like that he's being dragged through the desert and he comes to a little town that's called Timely and the judges in his dream are Orcus and mm-hmm. as he's about to be, you know, executed you know, as you said, the the it's the the wood beneath his feet are kicked out. He's going to fall, but Gene catches him, mm-hmm. and I love that because that harkens back to Messiah Complex, right? Where he's holding the baby Messiah, which is now Hope, but at the time we thought it was Gene, right? And he's presented with two futures: one where the baby Messiah is going to destroy everything, or two, the baby Messiah will save everyone. And Cyclops, believing it's Gene knows that she will save everyone. And that is why he puts his trust in her. I love that. Cyclops, trusting Gene is something that I will always love. And I think that's what this dream kind of comes across. I also love him through the desert, the plateau in the background of that first like panel. I wonder if it's supposed to be a homage. And this could be us crazy Gene stands reading into it from New Mexico, where Scott and Gene during Dark Phoenix had an intimate moment. Oh yeah, I mean, was that when they first uh, uh, did the deed? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. So it's so funny. I was about to say the first time they did the deed, but I don't know if that was the first time doing it. Regardless, it's the first time we really did see them as well, as as readers. Well, I, I gotta say, I like I like uh, back years ago um, during the astonishing X Men where he was flash where he flashed back to that moment with him and Jean when she was Phoenix. And, you know, he says, she says something like, now, you know, I'm a, a natural redhead or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. They got busy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't like the line. I have this reoccurring dream and I know it's just a dream, but it feels real. Like, first of all, Scott, you are going to be having a stress dream because you're on trial with yeah. Orcus for frack sake, for frack sake. So, of course, you're going to. You're going to be having these stress dreams. I just feel like that part of the writing is extremely lazy. There's not really much to the dream other than to set up that Gene is going to come in and rescue him and sort of his belief in in that. It just it's something that doesn't really like go over well with me because it's just such an odd gene, a dream. It was like odd gene, odd <laughs> dream. And why would it be set in like a Western setting? I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, does Cyclops like, like Western movies? Is this something I, I don't know, you know, good guys, bad guys, you know, kind of like a lawless state. It, it's it's yeah. just very odd to me, but 
I have to tell you the fact that we have Jean there with like her big old bonnet and like Phoenix brooch and her just giving this little smirk makes the scene worth it for me. But I, I do find it a very curious way of kicking everything off. I mean, I guess to it, it could also symbolize, especially in the first panel where you see Scott, you know, he's getting kind of dragged in the dirt here. Kind of like that, that's how he's always been. He's always just getting dragged in the mud, dragged in the dirt, um, always having to really uh, defend himself um, and his and his people. And but no, like you said, though, I mean, the symbolism with, you know, Jean catching him and saving him, symbolic of her eventual return to save uh, mutant kind. Um yeah, I, th I think it, it is very, very telling right there. Yeah. Although I got to say, just to kind of nitpick here, and I've got a couple oh, of nitpicks. With nitpick, this. nitpick, it's, nitpick. It's so, it's so minute. But why is he dressed back in his uh, costume from like the 70s when they just had him in his 90s look? It just always, that was just kind of odd to me to see him kind of. No, like... no, no. I, I agree with you because even in the dream, it's, so for folks at home who haven't read the issue yet, it starts off with the dream and then immediately cuts to him being unloaded yeah. in Paris for his trial. Yep. So in the dream, he's wearing his ruby red sunglasses, which would not be fitting for the time, A. Right, but then right. B, we get him in his like 70s outfit here when he's been in his 90s. I don't know what the answer is because my thing yeah. to you would have been like, oh, no, that's just kind of like the goggles and a cap to – stop him from using his powers right. but those boots have some really big cuffs on them oh yeah i mean those are you know yo ho ho matey yeah <laughs> back uh sailing so, back to the 70s there wait and can you like was there a bridge between cyclops having his back broken eyelids shut <laughs> and on like a like a medical table yeah. to him being able to walk and and that's exactly what and i so you are totally in my head right now because I was just gonna I was just gonna say and how is he walking again when he had his back broken? I mean, what's and I don't think they they didn't explain you know, that in this issue like how is he mobile? Well, uh, because like just... if you gave if, if you gave him like a cane or something, then I'd be like, okay, whatever. But like, yeah, he's fine. Like, is there some kind of like is this supposed to be us as a reader sort of implying that maybe when in the, the times he's been resurrected, maybe he was resurrected with some kind of like healing gene or something like that. I, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever that he can just fully walk without having any sort of problems doing right. so, especially months with just mere months before him being thrown out of the treehouse in his back. Oh yeah. And especially at that height. Yeah. I mean, that, that would have, that completely shattered his spine and, yeah. caused him, and, and caused him to be paralyzed. I mean, even it was even stated in that issue. So it was just interesting how he's just, you know, just hopping out of that back of that truck and walking right into the court system. So, but I do have to say though, I like how in, as he's approaching the uh, courthouse, you've got one side of the humans against them. And then one side is also for the X-Men. So at least, you know, they still have allies somewhere. <laughs> and I agree. And I think that was something that I had said months ago that like uh, something like this, if you're going to put it in some kind of like mm -hmm. context, there would be people who are very against mutants and also very pro mutants, no matter right. what's happening. I mean, it's just a world we live in now. So I love seeing, seeing yeah. that there. The one thing I could not foresee was this caption here where he says, humans like their symbolism. This is Paris, where they tried Magneto. This time, the trial will go their way, but the war will not. So this is where Magneto in the purple costume was being yep. tried. I like it. Mm -hmm. That was a little, little uh, good callback there. 
Okay, so then our next two pages are Wolverine and Colossus. And the first page, it's then. So we're flashing back, and it's talking about how the Krakon Age was remarkable for the advancement in mutant technology by combining their powers to create a mutant circuit and create this island nation that sort of can span worlds. And there is a consensus among historians that the first use of mutant technology was the fastball special between Colossus and Wolverine. So then classic, of course, and I like that. And then now in the present, Colossus and Wolverine are under the courthouse and they are going to try to liberate Cyclops. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about how they can do sort of like an inversion of the fastball special. And what it is, is that Colossus grabs one of the Orcus soldiers, throws it at Wolverine. Wolverine pops his claws and like shreds. (laughs) I mean, it is brutal. It is very brutal. I'm going to give Lucas Warneck his credit with his art. That was that definitely made me go you know, like I was like, oh, that that's got to hurt. Yeah, he's going to need a few stitches after that one. <laughs> yeah, he's not coming back from that. He's not going to be walking <laughs> in a few months if he survived that. Sorry, uh, the Phoenix Foundation rejects this resurrection. <laughs> Phoenix Foundation is like, uh, sorry, no, thank you. <laughs> but then, you know, Wolverine and Colossus have a very cute moment where they're like, what should we call this? The screwball special. And Colossus is like, let's just go liberate Cyclops. To me, I mean, it was just kind of clock. Classic, you know, Wolverine Colossus moment um, fighting, you know, kind of the villain of the day and, you know, taking out um, the enemy to save whoever it is they're going after, or, you know, whatever uh, classic X-Men style uh, moment they were having. Um, I mean, I, I agree. It was it was a very it was a brutal moment, but it was nice to see these two, uh, you know, come together and kind of rehash it. a classic moment. Very. Uh, very mortal combat here fatality oh i love that <laughs> oh yeah i, oh, I yeah. wish we were seeing this in ten of swords <laughs> I, exactly exactly <laughs> i mean but but what i like though about this scene is that you know you, you got these two now they're not playing any games with orcus they mean business because they're i mean they're they're just tired they're tired of this bs there are people coming up again again on their race about to be extinct because of just these fascists and now they're just yeah it's like no no more no more games no we mean business and we're gonna we're gonna show you that we mean business so no i, I liked it i mean hey go berserk <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the best at what he does so i so there, there's this line here about krakoa being carbon um, negative and i thought that was such a wonderful line that that krakoa was this really safe environmentally friendly society spanning across the world and for me again this is one of the most missed opportunities in the krakoan age to show these larger plot points of how somewhere like a carbon negative island housing the mutants would impact the general Marvel universe and see the X-Men really go out there and try to help the world and be rejected by the world. I mean, of course we saw that in Marauders with like Bobby trying to fix uh, the ice caps in one issue when he was with Kristen Frost. We saw them obviously in that strike force issue where they came and they rebuilt the town. But those were just like really few examples that like never really materialized into anything. And and that for me, when I when we kicked off the Krakoan age, I thought, oh my God, the X-Men have just established themselves as a world power. This is going to be a politically charged, you know, 
era of X-Books where we're going to see the mm -hmm. mutants really try to save the world in meaningful ways, right? Try to fix broken economic system, try to solve world hunger. They have the ability to terraform Mars. They're clearly going to do that. So seeing that kind of like just fly by here, I was like, oh, Dugan, I wish you would have. I wish you these are plot points you would have gone with instead of just like neandering for so many issues. Stick the landing. Just stick the landing. <laughs> just stick the landing. Because I do think that I think it is a very provocative story if you're gonna tell me this group of superheroes establish their own nation. They are able to cure world hunger. They're able to bring world peace. They're able to 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 sort of fix extinction, fix anything that happens to the planet. And human society rejects it. I think for me, that is a beautiful story. I just don't see it here. I, I, I don't think there's – we can infer it, but I don't see it here. Um, the other thing from these pages that I wish we would have gotten – and this is not fair because this is me projecting what I want onto, onto Dugan. But I wish we would have had a moment of showing Wolverine kind of concerned for Cyclops, being like, I want to get my boy out of here. Because in the Krakone age – Cyclops, Wolverine, and Jean are shacking up at the summer's habitat on the blue area of the moon. Yeah. I would have they, they have some kind of relationship that's more than just, you know, frenemies. I would have liked to have seen Wolverine genuinely concerned for Cyclops. And and again, that's nitpicking because I do like this cute moment between Colossus and Wolverine. But I, I think about this quite a bit. Like editorial is the one implying that they're a throuple, that they have this new lease on their relationship and they're no longer rivals with Gene because they are all three in a throuple. Can you at least just lean into it? You started it. I did it. I, I'm not over-reading subtext. It's out. It's over-text at this point. Well, I think, too, at the same time, you can even say it even goes back further than that before the whole throuple um, coupling there is... You know, these two have always been at odds with each other since Wolverine first debuted and joined the X-Men when they when you know Charles Xavier recruited, you know, the second well, the third team really to um uh rescue the original X-Men from uh, from Krakoa. And yeah, they've always been at odds with each other because they're just, you know, two really alpha males that just you know really butt heads and but yet there's this kind of mutual respect if you will between them because i mean you know cyclops is the leader and you know even though wolverine had a bit of a disdain for him oh kind of always but there was always in my opinion this mutual respect that he had for him so that he may not have always liked him but still he sees him you know kind of as an equal uh a bit I yeah i agree and with you so there's you know this uh admiration if you will between the two of them because even look Look, Wolverine has given Cyclops his dues, and Cyclops has given Wolverine his dues, and it doesn't always have to be because, you know, of Jean. And a lot of arguments between them, yeah, have been, you know, because of Jean, especially when the time that she, you know, was not around, uh, especially with um, that one scene, uh, a schism, I believe it was, where you know Cyclops said, you know, if she were here now, or she was always afraid of you, and then Wolverine says, you know, well, if she were here now, who would she be more afraid of, you know? But it doesn't always have to, you know, be because of that. But because but these two have such history together, such an illustrious you know history, and they've always had this relationship with each other. Dare I say, very sibling rivalry, if you will, almost. So, uh, you know, Cyclops is kind of like you know the boy next door, and Wolverine is you no know, the uh, the bad boy, and it's just you know 
Charles is the kind of like the father and he's always favorite Cyclops. And that's always kind of made Wolverine maybe a little bit jealous. Now I'm just kind of speaking, uh, you know, out a little bit, but just to kind of correlate that, you know, being with their relationship in the past. Yeah. It would have been, I agree. It would have been nice to kind of have him show some kind of, you know, concern, if you will, uh, a bit more. So, I mean, this is, this is in the end, I mean, they're boys. So, yeah, it just given the finality, I'm assuming, and, and, and the reason for that is because I'm assuming the thruple is probably not going to carry forward in, in the reboot. I would like some yeah. closure in their thruple-ness, right. but I agree. I love the he Cyclops is Brendan Walsh and Logan is Dylan McKay, right? That is the difference between these characters. One is the boy next door. The other one is the renegade. I love that. I guess you can say that uh, Emma would be the uh, the Valerie Malone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yes, she, she comes in in what season five? Yes, <laughs> right. I love that. <laughs> Nano two one zero reference there, yes. y'all. Yes. Okay. We we go into this interrogation room where Cyclops is getting ready to have a sit down with uh, Aaliyah, Doctor Aaliyah Gregor. I do like though how um, it says uh, the the guard. Cyclops, someone's come to see you, and he says, "Is it a tall, smart, funny redhead with sharp objects floating around her?" Call back to Jean's uh, uh, Hellfire Gala look, which I have to say, I really did like that look. By the way, with the whole you know golden kind of you know spikes flying around her head, I thought that was uh, I like that. I do like um, that too. I I did question tall question mark because okay, it's not that I think Jean is particularly short, but. I think of her more as like five four five five, and I think in canon she's supposed to be five six. I just looked this up as we were talking, and I wonder if like it's kind of like her green eyes. I know this is such nitpicking with it being a Jean Stan. Like sometimes they draw her with blue eyes, but she has green. I'm just curious. In canon, is Jean supposed to be particularly tall? Because I always thought of her as average height. Probably a little shorter when Frank Quitely was drawing her. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, well, look, I mean... Look, this is uh, so nitpicking. This is nitpicking beyond anything. Well, no, that's like, you know, we go talk about uh, with Jean in the animated series. I mean, yeah. she was always drawn with blue eyes. And the only time you saw her with green eyes is when she was Dark Phoenix, you know, you know trying, to, trying to fight that off. Um, no, it's, yeah, it, it is a little minute things. I know I, I get it. Um, but Cyclops but has Gene on his mind. That oh, is yeah. something that is so clear in these first like 10 pages. He is thinking of Gene, like he is waiting for her return. Oh yeah. Well, because he knows, I mean, there's even a line where he states that, you know, I mean, he's felt her die before and death and she's too good for death. Um, that it's, yeah, she's eventually going to return. I mean, it's just a matter of, when you know tick tock the clock the clock is ticking <laughs> the clock is ticking for her return so yeah so with this scene right here i mean it's just uh cyclops is getting interrogated he's getting visited by um dr gregor and omega sentinel and it's just really her just having a conversation with him kind of reminiscing about the whole suicide mission that they went on and you know she's just saying hey what are you thinking about when you made me a widow and you know i like how he's like he responds by saying that he has no memory of uh, that mother mold uh, of that mission. And uh, which is a callback to, of course, you know, when, you know, they die and they get brought back, they don't have the memory of their death uh, that gets admitted, I guess, to um, take out that, that trauma. Um, 
Although I wonder if that does, and kind of going back with the gene, because I know in the past we've had this conversation was, did she really, you know, die? Because we never really saw, you know, yeah. what happened with her, you know, pod. They, but I, I don't know, I guess. And I think that would have been a great thread to pick up. Yeah. So, so folks at home, that's from House of X when the team went to Mother Mold and they all died and then they were resurrected on Earth. I never took it as a suppressed trauma. I, I, I took it as those backups. They, they backed up before they left mm -hmm. and then that, that's kind of gone. But one, I would love it if the next issue ends with that gene coming back and then another gene as well. Or that's a body that Gene in the White Hot Room somehow uses to come back. But also, I, I love that for Dr. Greger, this situation was something that made her a widow. It's something so horrible. And the person before her isn't even the person who committed those crimes. It's someone who doesn't have those memories. And that's that's got to sting a little bit for her. No, I, and I'm, I'm sure it does. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, I have to be honest, I, I really feel very, very little uh, sympathy. Oh, yeah. Her. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Oh, yeah. It's just because, I mean, you, you knew what you were doing. You really expected them to just kind of sit there and allow you to want to exterminate them. No, I mean, they're going to they're going to fight back and, and they're going to fight back with everything they have. And yeah, and it costed them their lives, um, even though they were able to you know be um, brought back and, and, and whatnot. But I mean. They're not gonna just. They're not gonna let you, um, you know, ruin or take away what they worked so hard for. And I did. I did chuckle a little bit though when when Psychops was like, "Oh, sorry, I think I I, I thought I smelled the bourbon in your coffee." Because <laughs> um, clearly, I mean, this is this, this is kind of. Like, I feel like this is a moment that she's kind of been waiting for to have this confrontation uh, with him to kind of in her. I guess her way of you know letting him have it, but yet he's not. I mean, she, he's not going to give her what she's looking for. Uh, yeah, and it's it's. By the way, I want to give Lucas Warneck also other like more like props for these panels because I feel the intensity, especially with her facial expressions. Oh, yeah. And Cyclops is conveying so much with so much of his face being covered, and you know they they both are feeling grief and and very differently. And sure. I think about Cyclops being in this situation here where. Gene is dead. He's facing yet another extinction, you know, situation. And he gives zero fucks. The way he's being written here, when he was here like, oh, I'm sorry, I think I caught a wolf of bourbon in your coffee. I agree. It made me laugh as well. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's just it's just one of those, you no, know, okay, I've been here, done that before. Yeah. 10 moments. And, and again, it's funny. And, you know, going back to Gene, because, you know, you know, she's our god queen here. Why is she always dead in these you know types of stories? Every extinction level event, she is always dead. House of M, AVX, IVX. Yeah. Um, I agree. X Men disassembled as well, technically yeah. in Age of X Men. But I, it, it's I think it's because it's too easy. Although we're gonna get into too easy with Gene yeah. later on in this issue here, oh, yeah. because I think some things happen too easy, and I was like, mm, really, but. It's a nice interaction between Dr. Gregor and, and Cyclops. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad they kind of have this because I think it's one of those things that they have a moment in the plot right here to look at each other straight in the eye. They epitomize both sides and we know things are going to go down. And I agree. I don't have sympathy for her, but she feels just in her cause. And obviously Cyclops is just not going to back down. And Cyclops gives that smirk. 
and she's here like, is that a funny idea to you, human happiness? And Cyclops is like, my question wasn't for you, Dr. Greger. Mm-hmm. And literally then it cuts to Omega Sentinel. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you got these two opposing uh, individuals here who are fighting for their cause. I mean, and right now, and I, I guess, you know, for a moment there, I mean, it kind of, you kind of humanize, um, you know, show kind of hu- some humanization with these two. Maybe there's some kind of com- commonality that they have where they're, you know, working through their grief in, in a certain way. Like for her, you know, she lost her husband, you know, for him, he lost his wife. Um, although he knows eventually, you know, she's going to you know, return. Um, whereas for Gregor, um, he will not though, but isn't he Nimrod though? Yeah, he's Nimrod. So I say, so really, I mean, she lost the she lost the human part of him, but I mean, he's you know, been <laughs> kind of you know. I really, into- you know, talking to you here though, I really when I first read this, and I, like you, I read this a couple of times, but I kind of really did like the scene. But talking it out with you here, I'm like, what did she expect? The mutants yeah. literally know that Nimrod is the beginning of the end for them. This is why the Days of Future Past timeline exists. They know if they see Nimrod, they're all going to end up in concentration camps. So the the X-Men are going to come at you with everything they got because one of the worst dystopian futures for them is this Days of Future Past timeline. So I agree with you. What was she expecting here being like, oh, you made me... Like, these casualties were going to happen. Whereas Cyclops is like, yeah... I understand grief as well, but he's so arrogant. He's here like, oh, wait, someone's here to see me. Is it my wife yet? Like, at least Cyclops has that courage of his convictions. She right. doesn't seem to have metabolized that. So I don't understand what the purpose of the scene is other than to end with some shade at Omega Sentinel. When he's here like, what are you going to do when the last mutant's dead under your heel? And then he's here like, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to her. Well, he doesn't say her, but, you know, I, I, I guess Omega Sentinel. Yeah, I mean, I guess overall, this is just, uh, you know, one. I guess this was just to show her, you know, gotcha moment with him. Um, but really, I mean, yeah. who's going to have the last laugh? It's not going to be her. I can tell you that. Okay, so the next scenes are pretty interesting where we have Xavier at the Green Lagoon Bar on Krakoa. And he says, no more. No more. No more. And he so screams. <laughs> I know, so dramatic. And he's here like, it's time. And of course... Rasputin is hovering over the courthouse because she's joining the rescue mission for for Cyclops with Colossus and Wolverine. And Xavier comes into her telepathically and he says, I know you've been trying to split your time between artwork and the X-Men. I promise you we can save them all, but you need to come right now. Trust me, right now. Leave this mission right now. <laughs> come fly to me. And Rasputin is like, Okay, bye. (laughs) Zooms off. So here here are my thoughts on this one. One, really, like at the very moment they're going to bust out Cyclops. This is when Xavier's like, you have to come now. Fine, whatever. You're you're, you're heightening drama and and tension for the story. Okay, fine, sure. But this is my point with showing like Dugan's X-Men with the Miss Marvel series. The X-Men are such poor strategists. Scotty Son, why are they such poor strategists? Why would you attempt to free Cyclops the day the verdict is going to be given? Because you know it's going to have the most security, the most media coverage. Why wouldn't you do it during some of the boring trial days? Like, uh, Think of like Gwyneth Paltrow's like, like ski trial. Everyone's oh, yeah. tuning in day off. Everyone's tuning day off to see the verdict, but 
Who cares about the days leading up to it? Why the day of when the verdict is about to be given, do the X-Men decide this is the best moment to bust him out? Because it makes no sense. You would want to do it sometime before, in my opinion. Well, I mean, that would be the more ideal moment, of, of course. Yeah, to, to uh, you know, you know, make the uh, the jailbreak right there. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't really bode well. I mean, because you've got, of course, a bunch of people there. You know, um, um, you know, everyone's watching, and it's not going to really make them look good, <laughs> you know, by just jumping in. But also, like, no one sees Rasputin hovering over the court. She's not that far high. And you I, can I, see I, the sentinel. Like, no one's seen her up there. Right. And I was just going to say, and, and, and looking at the panel right there, I mean, she's literally just, like, just above the house. You don't think anyone's going to be looking up with a phone, like, you know, taking a video of, like, what's, what's, who's this right here? Yeah. It, something's, it, something's going up, especially the opposing side. Exactly. They're going to be like, oh, look, it's girl colossus oh look it's it's danny moonstar oh look it's magic it's you know they're they're gonna notice her it just and she'll make some noise again she's flying right through the courthouse it doesn't make any sense to me but i mean again like my overall feels has been that i don't think the current editorial office thinks its readers are smart because this is this to me is like a big big plot hole well, I, if you're you're looking at the pages as they come in, you'd be like, no, strike this. No, not that. I don't know. That's my opinion. I don't know. I I guess for me is and I, and to be perfectly honest, I liked Rasputin when we first were introduced to her when uh, House of X, you know, first came about as you know the future of the X Men, like her and Cardinal, and uh, which I wish we would see more of uh, that character. I don't know. I think okay. it just. I, but honestly, when they had her come back, I really haven't. And no, no hate here, but I really haven't thought too much of her, uh, her of her character. I mean, I feel like she's just kind of getting shoe shoehorned in, uh, just to be part of the kind of the overall story here. And I guess they just need her something for her to do, and here it is. Um, I- I think her biggest sin is that when Kamala at the Hellfire Gala is like, I wonder what my mutant powers are. And she comes in and she's here like, you're Miss Marvel. You're a big hero uh, from where I come from. I love everything about you. And doesn't tell poor Kamala what her powers are. I think it's hysterical. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I guess the writing, I, I guess where they kind of written her where she was very more warrior-like um, no. in the beginning. Now she's just... I don't know, comes across very sidekicky. See, but I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I will say, though, no, I do think people like her. I do think there's oh, yeah. engagement there. I think I like the design. I think she is like this generation's Age of Apocalypse blink. I think she, I think if done well, mm-hmm. she could land well. But she, I agree with you. She comes across as sidekicky and like, Again, taking the story 100% for being in canon, I'm like, why are you hovering over the, the courthouse? Yeah, I mean, overall, I agree. I love her design. I think she looks great. I just think, um, I just liked how she was written when we were first introduced to her, then really kind of how she's written now. But I mean, but then again, I mean, maybe she just needs to be uh, put into the hands of a, a writer that will know what to really do with her and make her, uh, you know, the fierce warrior that she she came across uh, when Krakoa first started. Uh, in um, Powers of Ten. So, well, I listen. I'm not disagreeing with you, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> I agree on having a better writer tackle her. But anyways, you want to hit the next scene? Uh, the next scene pretty much is just you know uh, you know Wolverine and Colossus, uh, you know going through I guess uh, the underground sewers here beneath the building, uh, kind of um, confused. Well, 
being in communication with Rasputin, but then all of a sudden kind of gets cut off and they're kind of wondering, you know, where she went and, uh, you know, what's going to happen with uh, Liberating Cyclops, where they're now met with more Orcus troops, where they literally pin them against the wall with this device, this kind of like tank with electromagnetic capabilities. Yeah, they pin them to the wall. And man, just seeing where this one guy just literally lights Wolverine up. I mean, you just see his skin just melting. Oh, and, I, I mean, you just kind of, I mean... He'll be fine, of course. She's fine. Don't <laughs> it's worry. It's nothing. It's nothing. The art is cool. It's so cool. It's such a cool moment in the art. And again, you got to give praise to uh, artist Lucas Warnick because I mean, he really just, I mean, does not hide the, you know, the melting, you know, the tearing away of the skin, the burning. You can just feel it. You know, you know, poor Wolvie. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, lighting. Letting that Yule log. Yeah, do um, not ruin that Hugh Jackman face. We need it for Deadpool 3. I, exactly. And then, uh, as uh, Orcus thinks, oh, yeah, we got these guys. Uh, they're done. They're done. Then pops in our favorite swashbuckling, uh, teleporting mutant, Mr. Kurt Wagner. Yeah. Love Wait, it. Can I ask you a question? Because I haven't, I haven't really followed through with Uncanny Spider-Man. Is he no longer Spider-Man anymore? Uh, I guess not. I honest, <laughs> I really haven't kept up with that one either. Uh, I, I mean, I'll wait until it hits Marvel Unlimited, of course. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not. Um, I'm not going to be paying for that. Sorry, I don't think it's worth my four ninety nine, three ninety nine. But okay, so but he's back and he's he's in his regular non Spider Man yeah. costume. Yeah, he's back in his uh, classic Nightcrawler look. You know, working the beard, which I I think is a good look for him. I, I wish. I hope they uh, keep that because he looked because when he was in X Men Red sporting the beard, I was like, okay, Zaddy. Okay, yes, Zaddy. With yeah, he looks good here. He he truly does, and I like how he comes in. He's having fun. This moment, by the way, I will always love Wolverine, Colossus, and Nightcrawler together because oh yeah, what the the I was gonna say the episode, the issue where they dealt with Kitty dying in Astonishing X Men. I just it never occurred to me that these three have a very profound bond. They started off in the X-Men together. They are close with the same people. These mm -hmm. three have history together. It is lovely to see them coming together right now and taking on Orcus. Well, I mean, and these are the three that were part of the, uh, you know, the team that uh, was sent to rescue the original X-Men from Kokoa. So, I mean, of course they have that, you know, that connection, that bond with each other. Um, no, I, I completely agree. It's good to see them, you know, coming back and working together again. It's very just, it just gives me that old school classic X Men feel, you know, you know, villain of the day, um, really just getting in that um, team unison, and I, I just I love it, especially just the relationship between uh, Wolverine and Nightcrawler, and you know, there's that it really does that deep you know friendship level with them that they've always had. You know, Wolverine has the utmost respect for him, and you know, Nightcrawler just sees. You know that the best in him that you know a lot of people probably don't, but sees what it, and and Gene as well that they've seen that what a, what a good man that he is and what he can be, and so I mean it was just good to see him pop in, and then um, off to and then off to uh, where we'll see them later on um, in here. But uh, no, it was I just thought it was such a well rounded, just well done scene, um, which was just. And I agree with you. I, I want to pull on that thread where you said the X-Men going back to just being the X-Men. This scene very yeah. much is the X-Men just kicking butt, having fun together. This is what you fighting extinction prejudice. This is this scene is truly what the X-Men are all about. And I love it. Right. Too. 
Absolutely. I mean, it just it just takes it right back to you know old school, uh, you know X Men comics where it's just you know you got the team coming together, you know fighting you know the the villains of the day, whatever it is that they're you know going after, and you know just kicking ass, taking names or not taking names, and moving on. So the next scene is Cyclops before the judge. Yep. And we know that the prosecution rests, Your Honor. They're talking about how the mutants are an invasive species. And Cyclops is like, well, I told you before, I have no defense, Your Honor. I'm not dignifying any of this nonsense with your response, with a response. I know there is good in humanity, and I'm not being tried by it. And then he's here like, I can only be judged by one soul, and I don't think you'd like to meet her. Another reference to our god queen but you know with this scene in particular again i have some issues because i'm not really quite sure who's prosecuting cyclops i i know we're being told he's been bounced around the world that this is a corrupt you know um court because orcus has somewhat infiltrated them but it, it doesn't make any sense to me how how flimsy any of this is and the fact that he offers no defense when as we find out in the next couple pages that he's trying to bide time for the resistance to build itself up, for his team members to get organized. I'm like, okay, then why wouldn't you file an appeal? Why wouldn't you file any motions? Why wouldn't you why, why wouldn't you have Jennifer Walters? If you have that Krakoan money and you have Jennifer Walters on retainer, which we find out again in a couple of pages that Jennifer Walters is his attorney, why wouldn't you be stalling the verdict to give your team more time? It just doesn't seem like a very well thought out scene here is all I'm saying. Well, this thing just reads um, total kangaroo court, you know, yeah. pretty much. I mean, there's just trying him. I mean, with really no hard, hard evidence here, I mean, because like we were talking about before, I mean, the whole, you know, reason of the Krakoan experience was really to get you know humanity to see that the mutants are not a threat, that they're actually there to help uh, humanity yeah. and offer these you know medicines and things to prolong their life, cure disease, do everything they can to really show that mutants are not the enemy. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, and seriously, and if you know she-hawk is his attorney and where where is she at you know to stand by (laughs) you know jennifer walters wants to go into paris and wants to be like front and center at least with the press like you don't put jennifer walters on retainer and she's not gonna not show up i'm sorry i mean you don't think she wants to get some kind of uh headline out of this you know get her name out there a little (laughs) bit you know more so (laughs) she wants to up her rates yeah she's not matt murdoch i mean come on this is jennifer walters she's supposed to be the best lawyer in the marvel universe i don't believe that she would just send out a press release especially but, now with the you know the she hawk uh disney plus series you know you think you want to utilize her in in her actual setting so um being the being a lawyer here and representing yeah. you know, the mutant community so i mean i thought it was a little bit of a missed opportunity not having her there make an appearance it just feels i I, it feels lazy to me, but sure, whatever. Like, listen, I'll let it go. Of all the things I have grievances with, this I can I can understand a kangaroo court one hundred percent. I just think there was more substance here than than we could have de- dove into. But the next scene is um, Orcus in in the Bloom room um, cheering 
that they got Cyclops. I mean, they're oblivious. They don't know that Cyclops is up to something. They're just like, ha-ha, he's, he's not going to defend anything. Nimrod, go kill Krakoa. And Nimrod just teleports to Krakoa. And Krakoa's <laughs> like, oh, hell no, and throws, like, Amber on him. And Nimrod's like, whoops, I'm disabled. And then Nimrod just runs away. I Yeah, you know, I guess I just have a mind of a child, but... <laughs> Krakoa really gave Nimrod a big happy ending there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even think about it like that. Oh my god, that's hysterical. Um, like it got me excited here. Pull <laughs> and go. Okay. All right. Well, although I'm I'm listen. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this once. I'm not gonna belabor the point here. So Gene and all of the mutants at the Hellfire Gala couldn't stop Nimrod. Cannonball. Fired up, invulnerable, dazzler, being yeah. immortal, frenzy, who is so strong. None of them could have stopped Nimrod, but all Krakoa has to do is throw a bunch spit of sap, <laughs> like spit on him. Right, exactly. Have, have a happy ending, whatever you said. Um, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Nimrod is disabled. That's that's all. That's all it took. Uh, no, think that this is a perfect example of that there are no rules concerning the powers or anything. It's just whatever the plot demands. And in this case, they needed Krakoa to run off. And that's why this super amper was able to stop Nimrod. It just doesn't make any sense that Omega level mutants couldn't stop it. Um, but Nimrod, or excuse me, but Krakoa just spitting on him, some amper was able to do the job. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I thought that too. Like it was just, it was too easy. I mean, he just lands there, getting ready to, um, getting ready to go. Nimrod about to go in for the attack, and then all of a sudden, Krakoa just spits out this amber, uh, encasing him in that substance, and then just pretty much punches him right into the ground. Um, yeah, it was just, it was very easy. And then, of course, Krakoa just runs off um, to wherever. Obviously, this is not going to hold him. I mean, he's uh, he he'll obviously break free somehow. If yeah. not himself, someone's going to come in and and get him out of it. But no, yeah, it's it it, it was. Um, I, I I thought about that too. Like, yeah, you you had a uh, you know Iceman go up against Nimrod, and then he takes him out. You know, Gene throws Juggernaut at him, and it didn't do anything. You know, to stop him. And but one little happy ending by uh, the big big plant guy there, and. That's it. Out like a commitment. snot rocket. A snot rocket right down. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Talking to Loogie, and then that's all it took. Damn. Where were you in the beginning of this? So I guess they, they, they've officially separated Krakoa from like the actual physical island. He's now on the run. Because it's not like the entire island goes running. It's just like a big like tree Krakoa. He goes running off and he dives into the water and and that's it. I wonder if this is the end, if this is supposed to be like the end of Krakoa as we know it in its current iteration. I'm curious to see if Krakoa will come back at some point in the story and they'll wrap it up officially. But Krakoa just goes off to parts unknown, dives into the yeah. water and leaves. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those uh, yet to yet to be seen uh, plots um, in the story that will will no doubt come across here. I'm sure sooner than later. Uh, if maybe not even by the next issue, we'll see where where Krakoa went off to. Um, but you know, here I don't know if you want to talk about. I mean, because there's and then there's a a, a page from the offices of Jennifer Walters. Um, really, it's just a letter from Cyclops 
Uh, oh, oh, my friend, it's not just a letter. It's a, it is a publicity release from the office of Jennifer Walters, which oh, I yeah. love. And, and we kind of already summed, summed it up, which was that he doesn't believe anything about what's being brought against him, that he is just biding time because he is an X-Man and their team, their, their moments now, and he's going to defend himself. Yeah, and that's pretty much all it is. Uh, it's yeah. just you know, him pretty much making a statement saying exactly what you just said. That's why they mortgaged the Summer's Habitat to pay for <laughs> Jennifer Walters. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she can send out this publicity release. And then we cut to Dr. Gregor um, making the announcement to all of humanity, pretty much just telling him, telling them all that, uh, you know, the Krakone era is coming to an end pretty much and that any mutant that decides to remain will... Uh, as we said, will be uh, you know liquidated, um, and then uh, and I, I and I, and again you know credit to Lucas Warnick here, um, just how dark and ominous that you know the scene with her and you got to make a sentinel back there and I'm guessing uh, that's Moira uh, maybe in the background. I'm not sure. I, it I, looks like say, Moira. I, that's not. Yeah, I agree I with say, you. I think I think it is yeah, it is more back there. Um, but just how really hell bent now she is on just saying, okay, that's it. I've had it with these mutants. Um it, it this is it for them. Anyone that remains is gonna be um done. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be pretty much killed. Uh it's liquidated very well, it's given very kind of uh uh Kind of like Nazi Germany um, concentration camp type of uh, only this time they'll just kill him right on the spot as you know going back in history as that did happen, um, but it, it's it's very it's it's giving very uh, very uh, uh, Auschwitz type feels, and uh, and and you know she has a line where where she kicks <laughs> it off like she seems so vindictive she's like, people of Earth why you slept the world changed. That's obviously what Xavier said at the beginning of the Krakoan age. She's clearly, the way I read it was a very mocking tone that she was doing. Exactly. She is not only going to stab, she's going to twist that knife. Oh, yeah. that's And that's exactly what it was. It was really her mocking his words uh, against them, um, saying that, you know, they they were, it was a failed experiment and they were not pretty much just lying to them, saying that they were not uh, for what they said. Um and and pretty much they're they're gonna come to their come to their end, and then of course you know we get a next scene of the X Men in the uh, the jet, um, discussing about uh, what happened to Rasputin. You've got Rogue, Shadowcat, Colossus, Wolverine, uh, Gambit is in there. I don't see Nightcrawler, so I don't know if he <laughs> we left Nightcrawler behind. They're like, yeah. sorry, bye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was just like you know, uh, where, where? Oh no, never mind. He's he is there. I'm is sorry. he? Where is he? he yeah, he's oh, oh, he's all Colossus. the way back yeah. in Colossus. Yeah, you're he's right. He's he is there. there. Okay. Okay. So they remembered him. Yeah, yeah. So it, this is pretty much them just r really just getting themselves ready for the the coming war with uh, the mutants uh, against Orcus. Um, really, just getting their numbers uh, together. Uh, Kitty departs, or sorry, Kate. Uh, Kate no, you got her name wrong again. Shadow Cat with a K. Shadow Cat with a K. <laughs> yeah, she departs, uh, you know, meets up with Emma, goes over to uh, I guess Arako, yeah. No. Um, pays a visit to Juggernaut. You see 
uh, Ms. Marvel, uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America, uh, battling one of the Sentinels, and then uh, tells Juggernaut, Juggernaut to uh, go be unstoppable. Really, this is just them now gathering the troops and ready to head out to war and let's permit her to saying let's go let's go yeah and it's worth noting that she is the only krakoan that can use the krakoan gates now so that's why she's able to like sort of yep. teleport really quickly from Araco to the mansion to sam and kamala so it, it, it's really nice but i gotta tell you the one scene that has me hype is that she goes to island m yeah. Uh, to recruit a Miss Lorna Dane. And, and what happens when she gets there to Island M? She is not there. Costume <laughs> on the floor. And she says, Lorna, we need you. And... Not only is it just her costume, but her cup of coffee. Oh, too. yeah. The coffee oh, yeah. is there. And Lorna, I'm surprised that it's just the one. I figured you had maybe like two or three there. I she know. Even her, she even left her shades behind. Oh, Lorna. That's because Lorna is not playing around anymore. She's not going to be that girl who walks into Starbucks. She's going to be that girl now who declares war. No, she she graduated from a grande. Now she's a venti girl. (laughs) She is a venti. (laughs) So, yes. uh, So Kate goes in to uh, recruit Lorna. And, uh, yeah, Miss Dane is uh, not there, which I have to say. I was wondering what happened to uh, Lorna because my concern, and maybe I I may have missed uh, uh, an issue here um, or there with her. But um, my concern was is when uh, the guy and you, I, I guess we can spoil it here. Uh, the revelation of who the new Captain Krakoa was, was the alternate uh, Captain America from um, Hydro Cap. Yes, Hydro Cap. And so I was wondering, because wasn't because right before the gala, Jean went to Lorna to comfort her. And Lorna was uh, just laid out in her bed, you know, upset because of what happened with Magneto. And then I feel like that was the last that we saw saw of her. So then when the treehouse was lit on fire, my first thought was, oh, my God, um, Polaris, you know, what yeah. happened to her? Did she survive uh, the massacre? Because, you know, we didn't see her at the gala. And did she burn up uh, with the treehouse that? Yeah. So. No, she was- apparently has been on Island M. I'm with you. I thought she was at the treehouse. I thought she was, too. Yeah. I thought she was at the treehouse, but she's on Island M. Sure. Well, and Island M, M yeah. is where they held the resurrection protocols for all the mutants and 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 Irene specifically. Yes, yes. That we saw in Inferno. I have to say, I I do love the the scene coming up here. Um, if you want to go ahead and talk about it, be my guest. Okay, so we flash to nowhere where Brew is there. And he sees the store open and he's like, Gene, is that you? I was beginning I was beginning to worry that you wouldn't come back. Oh, it is you. You're the last person I expected to come out this way. And then in walks Miss Lorna Dane with her green costume. Well, it's a new green costume, but it's yeah. very magneto inspired. It's the one that we've seen on the cover for issue two. And she's like, Gene is dead, brew. But those of us who live. We resist. And she's like, are you ready to go to war? And Brew is like, yes. Gene saved me. Saved these brood. And then Polaris looks like she grabs all of nowhere and is going towards Earth and says, then to war. And the issue ends. So 
I gotta say, you know, for what the issue was, and if you don't mind, uh, I'll just give my thoughts on, on this end part right here, because clearly I think we know where this is going to go. They're going to use the brood to help the X-Men against Orcus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this is what she, and this is what she's doing. And I just, I mean, I look, I love, love Lorna Dane and I cannot wait to see her shine in this. And it's long overdue to see her really have, you know, a, an arc as, as this and really, and now that, you know, we have Magneto kind of out of, out of the, the game. I mean, obviously, you know, resurrection Magneto is coming up, but this is really her time to be the Magneto um, of, of the, of the, uh, of the X-Men proper really. And uh, for her time to shine. And I, and I love that she's going to get this moment. And I really, really hope that she gets a really glorious moment too. I am though kind of sad that it's not the costume that we saw on the cover. Cause I really, thought that we were we were going to get that. Oh, you're right. But, because that, the one on the cover is a little bit more like the House of House of X Magneto. Yeah. This is a little bit more I, I don't want to say like flamboyant, but a little bit more theatrical and uh, harking back to even some of her OG looks. Right. You are right on that. You are 100% right. But I will say I think she looks amazing. Oh, look. Miss Lorna Dane I mean, I have become such a big Polaris fan in the last few years, in oh, large yeah. part because Emma Dumont is incredible and is literally the epitome of the character. But also, I think in the Krakone age, her showing up with her coffee, her shades, not give, giving zero fucks. I love it. And I agree with you. I think they are setting her up to bring the brood to help the X-Men. They're also setting her up as the Magneto of the story, equipped with her own asteroid. <laughs> you know, yeah. In lieu of Asteroid M, it's nowhere. And I, I'm i okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with Lorna being the master of nowhere and bringing that to Earth. And I wonder if nowhere is now going to be orbiting Earth and if that's going to be a future plot point. This last scene made the issue worth it for me. The only reason oh, I'm like this wasn't 100% garbage is because of this scene. I love right. it so much. I mean, a story like this, I mean, it's good. It's a slow start, of course. I mean, and I expected it to be as such. I mean, because you're you know, you're getting everybody together. They're getting ready to go to war here, gathering the troops. Um, and obviously, I believe that they're going to Cyclops will eventually get liberated because I think there was a cover that was revealed um, with uh, him on there and the like, magic and Emma, um, you know, look yeah. at, you know, getting ready to go up for a fight. Although take kind of covers with a grain of salt, because I mean, what you see isn't always what's going to happen in the story. So, I mean, but uh, no, when it comes to uh, Lorna here, I mean, I was just so, so excited to see this and I'm like, get it girl, get it. It, it is a strong ending to what I would describe as a lackluster issue. This was a very strong ending. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Lorna. We have great positioning with... I, I love that that Shadowcat with a K called them Mr. and Mrs. X. I, 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 I do stand Tony and Emma together, together. So I'm not unhappy with that. But I love that we're positioning these characters ready for war it's good setup it, it, I, I don't like the era but if if we're playing within this era the best amount of tension and setup has been completed with this issue i'm so happy with that you know i gotta say I, i'm right there with you when it comes to emma and tony i don't hate that coupling anymore i didn't really think much of it before it's slowly growing on me now so i just i love them as like a very decadent 
couple that doesn't take everything too seriously right. and are kind of like, eh, just throw money at the problem. And they're like, no, you can't just do that. And they're like, really? And and then <laughs> they superhero. I, I just think they work together editorially, not for everyone. And I agree, it's not for everyone, but I think it's fun. Um, let's see where it all goes. I'm excited for for what's yeah. to come. I think this was a Absolutely. strong start. I, I was prepared for utter garbage, and I will say only 45% of me thinks it's, it was garbage. The other the other has been just kind of turn off your brain and have fun. And back to basics. Back yeah. to basics in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll yeah, we'll see we'll see where this goes. I mean, I mean, especially with uh, you know, Lorna here, you know, coming in uh coming in hot. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, what they do with the whole, uh, you know, brood scene. Cause like I said, I mean, that, I mean, she's coming in with them to help out the X-Men. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I will say this though, the scene where Emma is projecting her mind, talking to pretty much every mutant out there, telling them to get ready. Um, and, and it's a little nitpick, but I wish we would have had at least a scene where, we would have seen Madeline and her dark X-Men, you know, kind of appear and as if they're listening to the message as well, because especially with, you know, what they just went through in their dark X-Men limited series uh, and how that ended, it would have been nice to kind of see them there and kind of give a little hint that they're going to be part of the overall story. If not, you know, a main focus, but at least we know they're going to be there engaging in the, the fight against Orcus. Um, so I was a little, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see her because Especially with Madeline having such a, a resurgence lately in in the comics, and her, you know, getting this redemption arc, which I'm I'm, I'm so glad that she's getting now. Um, it just would have been great to kind of have that little like her well, and Alex. Or I agree. Yeah. Why would you go to Kamala and not Madeline? Right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, we're talking. This is the and. Queen ambassador, whatever her official moniker is, of limbo. You're going to want limbo on your side. Exactly my point. I mean, she runs the limbo embassy right literally in New York City. So, if anything, I mean, clearly the X Men don't know that Lorna's coming with the brood. So, you think you want to go to her and have Madeline assemble her uh, troops in limbo and uh, prepare to go against the Orcas? I mean, at least, and not to sound, you know, you know, shitty here, but at least, you know, uh, demons of limbo can be like you know cannon fodder. You know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. But again, this yeah. comes back to the point that the X Men are not written as particularly good strategists. The X Men are really dumb when it comes to defending themselves or even like mobilizing for war. I I, I do think Dugan, and I've said this since Marauders writes a really fun Emma. I don't think like I think Hickman and Morrison really captured what Emma Frost should be, but I think. Dugan can capture a fun version of that. And her line here, hello, darlings. If you can hear my beautiful voice in your head, then <laughs> so welcome humble. to the resistance. You know what I mean? Like that's like laugh out loud funny. It's truly laugh out loud funny. But it's just, but it's classic Emma. I mean, she's yeah. a hero, but yet she's so sure of herself at the same time. Yeah. But but again, that is why I love Emma and Tony together. They're so over the top, ridiculous. Again, I understand that's not for everyone, but in my own irrational love. I, I do ship them together quite a bit. Um, I want to ask you, who do you think the MVP of the issue is? Oh, for me, it's, it's, uh, honestly, I have, 
Say I it. say it. I know you want to say it because I want to say it too. I'm going to give it to Lorna. Yes, 100%. Our girl Lorna, she dumped her Starbucks to go get ready for war. Yeah, exactly. If that isn't if that isn't MVP status, I don't know what isn't. She is literally. She actually is a better strategist than Shadowcat with a K, than Colossus, and the Nightcrawler, than Wolverine, than Rogue. Like, literally, Lorna's like, fuck this. The world's going to hell. Let me bring in this lower, the, the severed head of a Celestial. Yes, exactly. I was just going to say, I love how she didn't tell anyone a damn thing. She just went on her own, is coming in hot with these uh, with these uh, broods. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. She's just like, I ain't telling nobody shit. She's <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to talk to you. She's like, you assholes. Like, no, I'm ready for this. She's like, I saw what happened at the Hellfire Club. I read, I read it in page six the next day. I know you guys aren't ready for any of this. Crap. Exactly. Um, exactly. I agree. I think Lorna really shines. I hope she's a focal point for the remaining issues. I, I'm so excited i i really talk it's talking about it with you has made it has made me more excited i think when i first read it i didn't have the best reaction but as i've discussed it with you i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed oh, it yeah. quite a bit i mean yeah it's, it's definitely it's always sort of like this they're always going to kind of get a bit of a slow start and um but i think gradually it, it'll pick up but it's like we said before i'm just getting just tired of the constant you know, mutant extermination type of event uh, stories. I wish they just kind of not have, they, I, 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 I guess overall, I'm just, I wish they wouldn't have to deal with this as much as they have in the past. It's just getting to be a bit of a, a tired trope now. Can we just kind of go back to a time where, you know, it's just, you know, let them deal with, of course, uh, a threat level, of course, but not where it's going to nearly kill their entire, you know, race of people. I mean, Jesus. I, I, Fall of X is basically X-Men disassembled yeah. with a new coat. That's all I, that's all it yeah. is. And this is IVX, this is AVX, this is zero this is everything that we've already seen before. But it's fine. Give us Lorna with nowhere. I I'm optimistic for a reboot. I have said this before. I think leaving Krakoa is a really bad move. But if you're gonna leave Krakoa, I'm open hearted to doing a reboot and seeing what you guys are going to bring for the X-Men. Because one of the things that we, I, I don't think I've stressed enough on this podcast is with Deadpool 3 coming out, with X-Men 97 coming out, Marvel wants to make money. They want these, they want the X-Men IP to thrive. So yeah. if they're doing a reboot, no matter how much we're going to complain that they're leaving Krakoa, they're doing it with the best intentions to really, make the X-Men IP strong. So I don't think it's strong right now. So if you're going to take a shot at redoing it, let's see it. Let's, let's see what you got. And that's sort of where I'm going to rest my feelings with that. But this issue has me excited for the end. This is yeah. like when Buffy is about to go into the Hellmouth. All the oh, potential yeah. slayers are behind her. We don't yeah. know what's going to go on. And then Willow casts her spell and we get this epic finale. I'm hoping that is what we're going to get for the series. Oh no, that's a very good description. It is very, oh. you know, Buffy battling against the first. Yeah. You know, um, God, in fact, I was actually just kind of rewatching. Uh, Stop it, really? Yeah, I was actually. I was actually rewatching all the Faith episodes. <laughs> <gasps> I love. Oh my God, do you know my favorite episode of of all Buffy verse is Orpheus, and it's the Angel episode yes. where Willow comes in to rescue Faith, and Faith and Angel have that dream journey. I yeah. love it so much, and it's Willow versus Cordelia. I love Faith episodes oh, so much. 
I mean, look, Faith is my favorite Buffy character, so I, I stand by stand by her always. I think for me, probably one of the best uh, character arcs, um, especially from especially along with uh, Cordelia and Spike. So. Oh my gosh! Yes, one hundred percent. Okay, well, we're gonna take this offline and invite <laughs> Slayer Fest ninety eight into a group chat so we can talk about all Buffy and Faith stuff. But all right, anything else? Anything else you want to add? No, no. Like I said, I'm just uh, excited to see where this is gonna go. So. Only time will tell. Yeah, let's see where it goes. But I think, family at home, this is an issue worth picking up. Pick it up, read it, send your DMs to us on social media. I'm at Power of X Men, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at mdbrower81, uh, and you can uh, find me on my Talking Vibe uh, podcast on Instagram as well. So. I love your podcast so much. Oh, I love it so much. And I love that like everything we have been through in the Krakone age, we are now here talking about it as it comes to an end. It is oh Ascani son, what is what is life right now? You know what? It's just an ending. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Familia, stay tuned for more coverage for Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Powers of Ten, and we'll see you next time. Cheerio.